Okay, welcome to the uh, second episode of the, the sort of new Cali's uh, Wellbeing podcast. Um, and, you know, we're dealing with what, what I think are quite important issues that affect our student community, our parent community, and, you know, the wider community on the whole. And today, we're very honoured to have with me um, Dr. David Waldrock, who is a principal clinical psychologist um, who works privately and also for the NHS and is involved in the Early Intervention Service. So, David, thanks very much for, for, for joining me today. And you're going to be in conversation with me today, focusing on um, sort of the you know the, the world of alcohol and drugs. Uh, and we're going to I'm going to ask some questions that might help our parents, that might support our parents. Hopefully, you're going to give us some guidance, some tips um, for our parents to keep an eye on you know teenage use of, of alcohol and drugs, because ultimately, whether we want to ignore it or not, we we just can't. We so I guess firstly, you know, you work in the early intervention service. Would you mind just expanding a little bit about what that means? Well, uh, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. I think this is a very important topic because parents are need to be better informed about cannabis and drugs and alcohol. And I know it's an issue that concerns all parents and teenagers, especially. Yeah. So that's great. In terms of my my work in the NHS in the early intervention service. That's a specialized service that, that uh, provides treatment and support for individuals with their very first presentation with what's called a psychosis or psychotic disorder, which is a very serious form of mental illness. So, I mean, look, just some questions, because there's probably a hell of a lot that we could probably get through, but we don't have a great amount of time to do it all. But if we can start with talking about cannabis... Uh, marijuana, because it's one of those drugs that, even when you use the word drug sometimes to people, they they don't see it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it's something that uh, is against the law in, in many ways, you know, possession of it, dealing of it, smoking it. Um, but what impact, in your experience, have you seen that cannabis might have on somebody's mental, uh, certainly a teenager, what impact would it have on a teenager's mental and physical health? Uh, excellent question. There's a lot of rumours and myths about cannabis. Uh, so there's quite a bit of studies and research going on right now. Right here in London, there's something called the CIRCLE study, which is run by the University UCL. And it's a very excellent study where they're looking at cannabis and mental health and the connection between the two, and physical health. So there are rumors about cannabis, how it's detrimental to your health, yeah. physically and mentally. When they looked at the recent study, when they looked at in 2015, they looked at cannabis in general globally, and they looked at several medical uh, areas, such as cancer, cardiology, metabolic issues, respiratory illnesses. Right. Um, it's very clear that they found absolutely no connection. They did not find a clear connection between cannabis. We're talking about mild to moderate cannabis use. Mild to moderate and what would mild to moderate cannabis use mean? What is that? Oh, yeah, that's an excellent question. <laughs> I have no idea really what that means. I, I guess there are some people that like smoke every day, several times a day. Yeah. They get up in the morning, go to sleep. That's not mild. Oh, for years. That's yeah. quite chronic. Yeah. Severe use. I mean, I mean, maybe for socially, socially every now and then. Right. Sure. So forth. They had found no connection between it unless cannabis is used with tobacco. So the tobacco was more dangerous than the cannabis. 
So when you extract the tobacco from the cannabis, it's not that dangerous to your physical health in reality uh, for mild and moderate use. In terms of, um, uh, and when we're talking about cognitive deficits as well, as it cause you to uh, lose your memory or your ability to think or acquire information, there are no long-term effects. Okay. No long-term effects to that, to cannabis. That doesn't mean that when you someone's smoking cannabis and they suddenly stop, that things will suddenly uh, clear up in terms of their functioning, because it can have lingering effects on you. But I think that we're more concerned about mental health, how it affects mental health. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And there is a connection. So what connection is there then between the use of cannabis and mental health? I mean, what, what kind of negative impacts might it have? Certainly in teenage years, teenage use of cannabis. Right. Well, in general, there, there's, there is a connection between psychosis, which is a serious form of mental illness, and chronic regular use of cannabis. There is a, right. there is a correlation between the two. Um, but there's actually mixed results in terms of the effect of cannabis and anxiety or depression. It doesn't particularly cause one to be more anxious or depressed over time. They hadn't found that at all. But it does lead to, you're saying, it could potentially lead to elements of Psychosis. Would that be in later life, or would that be at the time of teenage use, or any time? Yeah, right. Great question again. I think what we're finding is this. We're finding that if someone uses cannabis before the age of 16 on a regular basis, that can be very detrimental towards their mental health, either immediately or sometime in the future. Right, that's really important. Yeah. So that's very, very important. And that's a very important finding. In other words, if someone's going to use cannabis, they should wait at least until the age of 20, or 18 maybe, right? But certainly not before the age of 16. So my advice to parents, if they suspect that a son or daughter is using cannabis and they're under the age of 16, 16 or less, they need to put their foot down assertively, very, very clearly, and stop it. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. We'll come on to a bit later on about how, you know, some advice for parents, because I'm sure we've got lots of parents who have tried that approach, and it just hasn't worked. So we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that right. definitely a, a little bit later on. But there is this whole debate, and I don't want to get into it too much, but there is the debate about legalization of cannabis. And of course, as young people see the general progressive mood across the world where it's become legalized in many countries, a number of U.S. states have legalized it. There is a movement here in the U.K. to, to legalize it. And, 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 you know, medical opinion not just medical, but economic, and all the different opinions are divided on whether cannabis should be legalized. I mean, just very briefly, what would, what would your take on that be, and, and why, I guess? Well, I, I think, I think uh, legalization would be, actually, uh, will offer us an ability to control cannabis. Because what's happening is, the type of cannabis which is popular on the streets is typically called something like skunk, for instance. Right which is a derivative of the natural marijuana. The natural marijuana that grows natu quite naturally um, has a 3% THC, which is the psychoactive part. Okay. It's the part that gets people high, and it's a hallucinogen. Yeah. But it has 3% of that. It also has other things in the ingredients, in it, like CBD, which is actually considered to be a more healthy ingredient within cannabis. Yeah. But what's happened is a, a, an other strains of cannabis has been developed 
like skunk, which can have 18% THC in it. Very, very high, very unnaturally high amount of hallucinogen cannabis. So that's what's available on the street. So for the untrained parent who doesn't necessarily understand the jargon here, what, what would be the difference between a, between a 2% and an 18%? So the skunk that some of our youngsters might be buying on the street, which has this 18% um, what, what, would, what would that lead to? Why is that a bad thing? Well, it, it's popular because it gives you a, a better high, a stronger high, right, a stronger yeah. experience. But it also leads to more psychotic type of behaviors. It's a hallucinogen after all. So it's also very unnatural in the natural form of cannabis. Yeah. So I think it's quite uh, destructive. So, so the majority, uh, obviously it's not, we can't comment on everything that people are buying, but the majority of our, you know, if we've got 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds buying um, weed, marijuana on the streets, you're saying the majority of stuff that's being sold by these dealers out there is actually not necessarily the stuff that uh, might be in any way beneficial. It's actually stuff that's very harmful or can be very harmful. Exactly. It's more potent. And not only that, but a lot of dealers might add other ingredients to yeah, it. Sure. Like absolutely. spice and things like that, they have different names to that, they might add something to it uh, to, to kind of sell more of the product, I yeah. suppose. So what our youngsters think is a very, in their mind, a very harmless bit of fun, you know, a little bit of a high, they're not perhaps appreciating, especially if they're smoking on a, even a semi-regular basis, they're not perhaps appreciating the, the impact that might have on their mental, on their mental health. Right, especially over time. Fine. Uh, so for, for, for parents, because obviously we're trying to target parents here, so that's a little bit about the jargon, a little bit about the, the impacts on health. In terms of signs of use, you know, we've had a number of parents, and I, and I guess schools up and down the country have parents who would say that, you know, sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever, we found your son or your daughter in possession, um, and he's, he, he or she says they've been smoking for five years. And the parent would turn around and say, I had absolutely no idea. I would never think that my lovely son or my lovely daughter would be somebody who would, who would be smoking weed. What are the sort of classic, in your experience, the classic signs that parents can look out for that their child might be involved in um, the use of marijuana, let's say? I think the regular is you see immediate signs, red eyes, for instance, yeah. suddenly you're gnashing, you know, wanting to eat something, yeah. appetite kind of things, a uh, little like, uh, you might even see a little agitation or paranoia. Detachments in their behavior, those kind of things you might find. And also, there'll be a distortion in terms of uh, judging time correctly and situations correctly. Uh, and over time, though, you might see uh, more uh, indifference about things. And that's another point I want to bring up because we talk about the physical effects of cannabis, there's also very clear psychological effects when young people use cannabis regularly at an early age. Right. And that is, they tend to be more indifferent about education and learning. They're just, you know, not, it doesn't interest them. They're not motivated to learn. And also, uh, they avoid stress. So anything like an exam or a paper they need to present that would be stressful, it's much easier just to get stoned than to deal with the stress. So yeah. they, never, they never acquire those skills. They never learn how to work through those issues. And there's a lot, a lot of stress, especially for young people today. Of course there is. Yeah, we, we experience it and we see it all the time in school. Uh, another thing that I remember we once had a talk from, from the Amy Winehouse Foundation, one of the things that they said 
is a is a is a sign, a potential sign of, of marijuana use, is the excessive use of aftershave or perfume. And I know that's not necessarily a physical thing, but the reason why they said that is because um, if somebody has been smoking, of course the smell lingers oh, for a long time. Yeah. And if you suddenly, you know, your son's coming down the stairs at seven o'clock in the afternoon for supper. Uh, and he, he reeks of the latest Louis Vuitton uh, aftershave, whatever it might be, you might want to ask yourself questions What's about going on? Exactly, about why that might be. So that's another another sign. Um, but, I mean, there are, I guess, the more stereotypical ones that you mentioned, like the red eye and the, the sort of indifference, yeah. to, indifference yeah. to things. Some people, I mean, can, are some people programmed or, or are some people able to hide use of marijuana better? Or is it, you know, is it, are they generic... I don't know. Yeah. I suppose some people are. But I think most parents know their children more or less. They can kind of see a change of behavior, something happened. But that's not uncommon in, in a teenager that's going through stages in life. You know, they can be moody and deal with things quite differently. So it has to do with your level of communication with your, with your child. So, I mean, something to come on to, and, and, and you mentioned it now, and you mentioned it earlier, this idea of, of communication. Uh, and it's really important, of course, that parents have good communication with their, their children. And they don't always, it's not always the case, especially on a topic like uh, whether it's alcohol or drug use. It's one of those things. Firstly, do parents even have an understanding that their child can be smoking marijuana? Do they even think that it's possible that their child can be smoking marijuana? Do they know the signs? And if they do agree or accept all of those things, how do they then approach their child to say, can we have a conversation about marijuana use or your marijuana use? In the ideal situation, that would work. You know, you approach a child saying, you know, let's sit down, let's talk about this. It's a serious topic, we're concerned about it. And you have a like, really nice conversation about cannabis or drugs or alcohol. But frequently, one has to be a little bit more sophisticated about it, less, less straightforward. And I've found that many parents and reach the topic and discuss the issue of drugs with a teenager uh, by engaging in the conversation, the parents engage in the conversation, perhaps at the dinner table or, or watching TV or doing something else. Yeah. They're discussing it while on a ride in the car, friends, going somewhere. They can have a discussion. And saying, yeah, I heard about this and this, or I read this article, or I heard what's his name that's been using drugs and he's in the hospital. And just kind of role model a, a adult mature discussion about cannabis. And while the teen is listening in to the conversation. But the problem that we've got, I guess, is that many of, let's start with our community, I guess, many of our parents um, will have no experience of uh, cannabis use and therefore don't understand the jargon, uh, don't understand the signs, don't understand even how to have a conversation about it. And they would think, you know, they've raised their standard thoughts in the right way. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we all veer off the tracks every now and then from time to time. But those parents who don't have the experience of that, who think that their children would never ever be engaged in something like marijuana, which the children might see as quite trivial because of the way society is at the moment. Right. But the parents who grew up in a different generation, a different era, will see it as absolutely, you know, out of the, you know, you can't, you can't be smoking marijuana. It's just not allowed. How do you marry those two things together for a parent to be able to have a conversation with their child, sounding, you know, trying to be a bit street smart and sounding relatively street smart without them, with them, without putting them off? 
Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if the parents can have an honest conversation about, about cannabis, for instance, in the presence of the child, they don't have to invite the child into the conversation unless they want to. They can just have the conversation in front of the children. What we know about teens is the one thing they're very, very good at is overhearing conversations, especially those that they not shouldn't be overhearing. Absolutely. They're yes. very, very good at that. So I would, I would have a conversation and honestly say, what is cannabis? What does it do? I don't know. I heard this and this. Have a very open conversation. Hopefully the team will join in and maybe inform the parents because children usually know a lot more than parents Absolutely. about this because yeah. they're exposed to it. Yeah. And I guess that could be a sign as well, couldn't it? If, if, if your child is suddenly giving you expert advice on types of marijuana and how much yeah. it's sold for and what's what's available, you might, as a parent, want to ask, well, how do you know so much about it? That's true. And then there are some people that get into it, so to speak. Uh, they know everything about weed and cannabis and all the studies and all the terminologies and all the paraphernalia available. And that's, yeah. that's also something that you can look at whether you see a lot of paraphernalia related to cannabis use at home, whether they talk in that fashion. Yeah. So, so I mean, we focus quite heavily on, on, on cannabis use, and I guess that's the one, the reason why that is, that's what's most, right. most common. But there is, you know, whether we like it or not, there is a, a, an issue around members of our school community, other school communities, everywhere, basically, you know, the, the, the Class A drugs that are available too. Right. Uh, they're also fairly readily available if you know where you're going. Um, you know, is there a link? Because you do hear from people, don't you, sometimes that cannabis can be a gateway drug. That term gateway is used. It can lead you to, to taking a ketamine or cocaine or, or something else uh, at a later stage. I'm so glad you asked that, Amit, because that's really one of the myths about cannabis, that it leads to other drugs. That's absolutely not true. Okay, What's true is the opposite. What's true, what, what happened is that it, they found, they looked at individuals that are addicted to very serious high drugs, and they found that they started their career in drugs with softer drugs. Okay. So they assumed, well, if you start with soft drugs, it will lead to high drugs. But that's really not true. Over generations, it's, there's no, no evidence of that whatsoever, that it will definitely lead to high drugs. I think what we need to look at is, somebody uses a substance, whether it's cannabis, another drug, alcohol, even cigarettes, yeah, or prescription drugs, if they use it for kind of like a, a medical purpose rather than an, uh, a, a leisurely purpose. That's usually a difficult, a, a worrying sign. Yeah. For instance, somebody has a glass of wine with a dinner because they enjoy the taste of it and it just makes the dinner more pleasurable. But if they have to have that glass of wine in order to relax and go to sleep at night, then the alcohol becomes a problem. Correct. The same is yeah. true with cannabis. Correct. Yeah. So if somebody is using it on a an older person, not 16, obviously, hopefully not 18, uh, but if they're using it occasionally, socially, uh, in in the right environment, and are not obsessed about it, doesn't take over their life, the interest in cannabis. And they're not using it to avoid I people, young people that use cannabis because they're extremely socially anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very worried about the society and the culture and the yeah. people. Yeah. Or about exams, about pressure, and they can't sleep at night. And they're, or they're dealing with depression or other issues. 
So they almost use cannabis as a medication, and that always is problematic. Well, of course it is, because they, they probably think that the cannabis helps them, gets them through these, these problems, and perhaps in the short term it does, but as you mentioned earlier, in the long term, it's, it's going to lead to far greater problems that people like you then have to end up, uh, end up dealing with. Yeah, and in, in that regard, the type, of, the type of illness that we get from individuals who come to us and are admitted to hospital, psychiatric ward, uh, in the context of drug use, cannabis use, it's a very, very resistant type of psychosis. It, the symptoms linger for a long time, mm. and they resist treatment. It's a very difficult treatment. It's not... People assume that if you stop using the drug, you're fine, but it doesn't. It, it lingers. Yeah. So yeah. it's a very different type of illness. And what about the use of, of, of other drugs? I mean, generally, I don't want to stereotype or anything like that, but sort of the older you get, when you get into sort of, you hit 18 and maybe even a bit younger, and you start going to parties, you start going to raves, it's not so much about the cannabis, it's, it's more about um, some of the harder drugs. There might be ecstasy, LSD, uh, ketamine, uh, and all those kinds of things. I mean, again, the availability of those is, is you know, it's out there. It's, you, you can pick it up quite easily. Um, do you deal with people who are involved in those kinds of drugs as well? No, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly not a healthy thing to do. Mm. Yeah. It's not a healthy thing to do, especially the hard drugs. The thing about addiction is, I'm not completely sure that people get addicted to cannabis as they do to other types of drugs. And addiction is when, it actually what it means is that the amount that one initially used to achieve a certain result, like to feel good or high or whatever, yeah. Yeah. increases over time. Yeah. So that they no longer are satisfied with just a small amount, but they need more and more frequently. That's the, that's the, the, the well, this is where, this is where youngsters, and, uh, and not even youngsters, but older people too, take these party drugs, don't they? Because the, the first time they take it, the party felt so much, you know, so much better than it would have done otherwise, and they take more and more of yeah. the, whatever it might be, the ketamine, the, the LSD, whatever it might be. Um, and are, are, are there any, are there any typical signs then of, of those kinds of drugs? I mean, if a, if a youngster came home from a party, would there be any signs, either when they've come home or when they wake up the next day, that perhaps this person has taken any of these harder drugs, any of these party drugs available at, you know, raves and things like that that are illegally being passed around? Yeah. I, I think it's a change of behavior and inability to get organized, to function, yeah. and avoidance issues. Yeah. I guess, you know, you would expect to have perhaps a hangover after a party, wouldn't you, yeah. from, from having yeah. a bit of a drink, but if somebody's out of action for the entire day, uh, and maybe the day after, that could be a, that could be a sign of, of something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more sinister. Just a question on, on, on alcohol use then. Obviously, in, in the community, um, it's something that's, you know, under supervision, promoted at quite a young age. Um, youngsters in the community are given alcohol, um, you know, on the shop's table or wherever it might be, uh, at, at a fairly young age. And for the vast majority of people, that doesn't ever cause a problem. Um, but ultimately, for that small minority of people, it may well lead on to uh, an addiction to, to, to alcohol. So what might parents especially parents who have, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are, you know, who are being given a little bit of alcohol here and there. How might parents do that um, in a responsible, in a socially responsible manner? It's not for me to sit here and say they shouldn't do it at all, or they should do it. But if they are doing it, how might they do it in a socially responsible way so that the youngster doesn't grow up with 
the long-term impacts of perhaps becoming an alcoholic or so. Yeah, I, I personally think it has more to do with role modeling. Is what the, yes, what, is what the child or child teenager sees at home in terms of parents, how they deal with those issues. If they see parents that are uh, drinking excessively, binge drinking, or every day need to have a drink, then they're going to see that as a quite a normal, acceptable behavior. So I think it has to do with parental model. Yeah, I guess if, if, if mother and father have a, 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 you know, a glass of wine or two, and that's not a big deal. But if, if a youngster sees that on a regular basis, I guess, uh, especially a, uh, an 11, 12-year-old, you know, who's just joined secondary school, let's say, uh, might see that as the, as the norm. Right. And might think that that's the way he or she needs to, needs to behave um, later, on in, later on in life, I guess. And that's, that's, that's the difficult thing. So in terms of addiction, how does a parent know? You know, let's say, let's say a parent has got their, their son or daughter, they're having a conversation with them. How would a parent know that their son or daughter is addicted to, whether it might be alcohol, whether it might be cannabis, whether it might be uh, a class A drug? How might a parent know that their child is addicted and what might they be able to do about that? I, I suppose that they'd have to look at how, how, how does one afford drugs and not cheap? Oh, absolutely. So kind of watching finances and how do they get the money to pay for the drugs yeah. and whether they're looking for, you know, extra pocket money and using it effectively or using it for something else. That's something that I would look at. And from a psychological perspective, in your experience, um, how would you ascertain whether somebody is addicted to a substance? Is, is, that, is that a real thing? Is that something that doing, you, know, you would do on a regular basis? Or would you just treat the patient in front of you regardless of whether he or she is addicted to something or not? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question because most individuals that have a problem with addiction go through a significant phase where they, they deny the addiction. You know? They say, oh, not me, I can, I can handle this. But, so it, it's a process where you get someone to realize themselves that they have a problem. And there are different types of addiction, like for, for alcohol, for instance. There are those that have to drink alcohol every single day yeah, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. And there are those that don't drink during a week, but they binge. When they do drink, they don't know how to stop. And they always go to the excess. Different types of presentations. But it's not always easy for people to admit that they have a problem. And that's the first stage of, of, of therapy, basically, of treatment. To say, I have an issue with these substances. And it's issue. just so hard for a 15-year-old to say that, I guess, isn't sure. it? If a 15-year-old turn around and say, I have a problem with, let's say, cannabis use, or an 18-year-old with ecstasy use, it's just, it's just so hard sometimes to say that. Perhaps that's when parents find that intervening is a difficult thing to do. And there's also, I guess, the worry that parents are worried, you know, concerned about the impact that intervening might have on the parental-child relationship. They might feel scared to damage that relationship. I'm sure they will be scared. I mean, that's what, that's what teenagers are all about. So someone once says a teenager is like a wet bar of soap. You got one? <laughs> wet bar of soap. Because... If you hold it too loosely, it'll fall out of your hand. Yeah. Too tightly, it'll just squish right out of your hand. So you have to hold it with a certain element of like of contain it, but give it some space. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's very good. Um, in terms of then, I guess from a school perspective, let me ask you. A, in fact, before I ask you about school, let me ask you a slightly what could be a controversial question here. Um, this problem is not unique to our school. It's not unique to our community. It is a, a national problem. It is a 
probably a global problem, actually. But, you know, perhaps there is an element of a bit of burying heads in the sand in the community over um, youngsters' use of a variety of drugs. Uh, is it time, dare I say, you might not be the right person to ask this question, but I, you know, I want to ask it anyway. Um, is it time, perhaps, for the community to lift their heads out of the sand and not think for one second that it can't be their son or daughter who is sitting there smoking weed all day or is out there at parties taking pills all day? Well, I can tell you, without a doubt, so I see a lot more people than I ever expected from the religious Orthodox community wow. with drug issues in our policies. A lot. Any, I mean, you, again, you want a better answer, but any idea why that might be? Why is it? Why is that the case? I'm wondering, uh, it has to do with perhaps the, the constant exposure through internet, television, radio, yeah, yeah, mass yeah. media, in society, that you can hardly avoid looking at it and wondering. Uh, it's just all over the place. Music, uh, some of the rap music and songs, it's just all over the place. So it's, it's an issue like you're exposed to these ideas, then what do you do with that? What do you do with that? It's, it's not, you can't really hide anyone out anymore, lock them in a room and keep them away from anything that might be, you know, might throw them off. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's, and, and that's something that the, the young people today are dealing with that I never had to deal with when I was that age. There's a constant exposure of information. Social media, I guess. And a future episode that we'll, we'll, you know, I will focus on social media in a future episode, but I guess that's, that's, that's part of the problem here, isn't it? Yeah. So, so yeah, just, to, just to go back to the question, is it time for members of the community, the religious community, um, to, to lift their heads out of the sand and actually accept that they're good and I'm sure in many ways the, the, the son and the daughter is a, is a good child, but actually their good child does have weaknesses and one of those weaknesses might lead that child down the route of alcohol or drug use. And it's something that the community needs to talk about more, something the community needs to address more, and something the community needs to actually accept more. I think what the community needs to do, the adults need to be informed with the actual information in that moment yeah. about marijuana or drug use, they need to know what it is, what's actually problematic about it, and what isn't. Yeah. So the moment they say something that is not realistic, uh, based on myth and, and untrue things, uh, teens will, will call them on it right away. My parents don't know anything, that's what they told me. You know, yeah. And that's it, and they, that's it, they won't listen to you anymore. So I think parents need to be better informed yeah. into what's actually true and not true about cannabis. Yeah, I mean, we ran a session about a year ago, actually, the Amy Winehouse Foundation came in and ran a session for our parents mm -hmm. to try and educate them. We had, uh, I, I, you know, we only set our chairs for 150 people, but we had double that almost in yeah. the audience. So we had a number of parents, thankfully, uh, you know, who would come, and I don't know when they were worried about their children or just wanted to educate themselves okay. some more. So perhaps as a school, we need to be doing more of that going forward and educating our, our parents more. So whilst we, you know, whilst we can educate the children, yeah. Uh, it's also important to educate um, educate our children. Um, look, I guess that's, that, that covers most of the topic areas that I wanted to talk about. Um, and if, if a parent is worried, if a parent is concerned, um, what is the best course of action from a, from a, from a professional point of view? Of course, you've, you've given direction about how they might approach a conversation, you know, in the car, maybe in the WhatsApp message or whatever. But if they feel that they need help, not only for their child, by the way, but also for themselves, Dare I say, we might have parents who also need uh, help with addictions of different kinds. Uh, what is usually the best and the quickest? I know in, in current times, obviously we're filming during 
the COVID pandemic or according to the COVID pandemic, what is what is the best way about them getting the help they need? Well, I think one way is is what I'm looking at right now, which is you. <laughs> so I think uh, I think schools and yeah. and those are those are the people the parent can talk to. I'm worried about my child. Yeah, what's going on? And they, and schools we will say yes. We've seen a change in his or her behavior yeah. and so yeah. forth. Absolutely. And work together and find a solution. The other thing is the GP, yeah. a good one, because there are a lot of changes in terms of what community supports are available. There used to be a lot more. This is a bit, And obviously, there's, there's the there's there's websites like Talk Frank and Adaction that that parents can, can and, and students can go to if they need help from an external source. Um, look, I guess that leads me to just. Uh, to say thank you very much to, to you, Dr. David Walker, for, for coming in and you know giving us the time to talk a little bit about addiction, a little bit about alcohol, a little bit about drugs. It goes without saying that I know it's a, um, a difficult topic, but if you have any questions as parents or even as students, please be in touch. Please email me, a.cally, K-A-L-L-E-Y, at hasmanian.co.uk. We hope that this is a, a continuation of the opening of dialogue about such an important topic that is, that is affecting so many of our of our youngsters today, so please don't sort of stay silent on the issue. Please, please be in touch. So thank you. Thanks once again for the program. Well, thank you.